0: Broads, This is Liz. This is Devin. Devin, we are going back to basics. We are going to one of the titans of Seattle. Oh my love. Whose name and role is almost so big that I felt like <sighs> I never knew how to approach it. Mm-hmm. But now that we've mm-hmm. done Skid Row... I absolutely know how to approach this. Oh. And we are in for a time because as yes. I was texting you, as I was preparing these notes, every Seattle City founding father is a messy bitch who loves <laughs> drama. It turns Candy out. Shit. So uh. I came up with the title, The Three Loves of Henry Yesler, kind of at the last minute. Yes. I remember I'd been so determined I was going to get it up by, like, October 1st. Yes. And so I was like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. i like, I got it in at, like, 11.59, and I called it The Three Loves of Henry Yesler. Mm-hmm. But it worked out perfectly because this episode, which will be closing Skid Row, is called The Three Loves of Doc Maynard. Chills.
1: Full circle, baby. Full circle. And like you said, you kind of don't know how to tackle Doc mm-hmm. Maynard, who does, but it's that adage, you know, how do you eat the elephant? One bite at a time, my love. One bite at a time, yeah. Skid Road has been this appetizer it's been an entree it has been the palate cleansing course like you're ready for the main event we have bitten off these little tiny bits <laughs> of story and i cannot wait for you to feed me this history boyfriend
0: feast here is the dessert here is a story that's going to be a lot easier to follow now that we know who a lot of the major players are Love and it. it was very funny to engage with this because i was reading Bill Speedle's book yeah. about Doc Maynard, which yeah. meant this episode subject covered in a book written by last episode subject, who mm-hmm. got into history because of the previous episode subject, <laughs> and then took a yes. huge detour in the middle of this book just to bitch slap Henry Yesler <laughs> for some reason. Super aggro. Let me find this. In Sons of the Prophets, says Bill Speedle, I wrote about Henry Esler under a chapter entitled The Bastard. And there's nothing during the intervening ten years that either I or other researchers have come up with which changes the context of that designation. <laughs> the sawmill which he brought to Seattle always has can build as the most important industry in town at the time. The basis of our whole industrial complex. Will God help us if all our industries were run the way Henry's was? <laughs> On the other hand, no one can deny that in the field of bastardry, he was the most stout-hearted man we had.
1: Bastard is like a noun, a verb, and an adjective (laughs) in one paragraph. (laughs) The
0: art of bastardry. Oh, Oh, I want a letter in that art, like double major. It was really something. Oh, real quick before we jump in, I want to thank our new patron, Courtney. Welcome on board, Courtney. Thank you for being willing to follow all that. Yes! But we're about to jump in. All right, here we go. So, among other names... That Skid Row has been called. We've heard it called many things, right? It's down on the sawdust. It's the flats. Mm -hmm. It's the wrong side of the tracks. Mm -hmm. It's the other side of the line. Mm -hmm. Let me see. I feel like there were a couple others that came up. Oh, yeah. There was the time when it was called the Lava Beds, the the Tenderloin. Right. There was Woppyville in honor of one of those corrupt chiefs of police that we talked about. (laughs) It was also called... Maynard Town oh and I gotta say out of all of the names attached to it this not only is one of the least pejorative (laughs) but it's also just tremendously accurate and helps emphasize how important the Skid Row area was to Seattle so let me start at the end here of all the many names that the Skid Row area had Maynard Town is the one that I think you can come up with the best numerical justification for, and here is why. Okay, in about 1875, the Seattle Intelligencer, which became the Post Intelligencer, Mm -hmm. put together Seattle's first directory of businesses. There were 208 of them, which, as oh, wow. Bill points out, not counting somewhere between 18 and 50 houses of prostitution, which were yeah. thoughtfully omitted from the directory. Yeah. So out of these 208 businesses, 196 were in Maynard Town. No way! Yeah. We will learn about... Dang. ...why things grew the way they did for Seattle. And... Why they did is because of Doc Maynard in a way that I didn't understand up to this point. And, of course, Bill Speedle's book calls him the man who invented Seattle. And I'm like, oh, what do you do? Like, make a map or come up with a name? Like, no. I think he stole it. I think he shoplifted. This entire city, I think he just made it up and got away with it. Got away with it. It is it fell off the back of a truck and he sold it. It is a weird one. So let's get into it. I just love the way you said that. I'm sort of the what'd he do? do?" You love it when I do voices. I love it when you do
1: voices. I appreciate that you think he made this up out of whole cloth and then presumably somebody called him on it and they were like, where are the receipts? And he's like, damn it, now I have to actually make the town.
0: (laughs) Shoot. Quick, fill in the bay. (laughs) It's even better. It will get there. Okay. So let's start early with Maynard, like you gotta do. He actually has a birthday, which is so exciting for us. He was oh, good. Born in Vermont on March 22nd, 1808. He's an Aries. There you go. Very, you know, on it, very out there making things happen. Yes. Maynard, unlike many people who go by the nickname Doc, actually was <laughs> a doctor. Oh, serious? <laughs> yes. So his government name... Was David Swinson Maynard, but he went by Doc because he went to medical school. Okay, but according to Bill Speedle, the story of Doc going to medical school was a story of sacrifice Mm. because Doc, the young, young Doc, was in love, (sighs) but the object of his affections. Did not want to hang around while he went to medical school. Mm. Even though medical school in those days was like eight months. <laughs> it was not that much. It was it was swift. Like you could just walk yeah. right out of high school into medical school yeah. and walk out like yeah. maybe two years later. It was yeah. a completely different situation. A yeah. couple of
1: seminars and a handshake later. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, it was a lot actually like we do it today after we give them the MD, which is a ton of preceptorships, internships, Ah. apprenticeships. The idea was that you would attach to somebody and learn your trade that way. So really the book learning could only cover so much, but now it covers so much. And then we still make them go through all of that. We do. Medicine is too big a plane to fly. Anyway, (laughs) so (laughs) this young Doc Maynard chose medical school okay. over his love and with his heart presumably still broken he still realized that for a successful young man and a man interested in all the joys of family life he still mm-hmm. needed a wife so sure. he married a woman named Lydia A. Ricky in Aww. 1828 This was very exciting to my Lydia when I told her about this because she does not encounter a lot of other Lydias. No, solid name choice. They live in various places on the East Coast and then they move out to Ohio. They have two kids, a daughter, Frances, and a son, Henry. Okay. And they moved to Cleveland in 1832. Cleveland at that time is a town of about 500 people. Oh. It's small. He becomes very well known. Mm-hmm. He becomes very involved in stuff including politics, businesses. Okay. He gets involved in the railroads. He starts a medical school that okay. collapses in the panic of 1837. Oh yeah. He goes through a whole lot of living, right? So he's born in 1808, and he's in Cleveland until 1850. So he is 42 when he comes west. And the reason why Doc comes west is because, well, I'm going to try to be fair to all parties concerned here because okay. it's the only way I know how to do it. According to Maynard, according to Doc, his first wife, Lydia Ricky, was very promiscuous. Okay. Like he apparently, and this is from Bill who is, I think, a bit of a sensationalist, but I like when people don't let stuff get in the way of a good story. Yes. So the story is that Doc used to say that she'd slept with everybody in Cleveland, but to be fair, it was a smaller town back then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, my God. According to court papers, Doc caught her. In the act oh. in 1841.
1: Oh, in de flagrento, or whatever that is.
0: <laughs> Flagrante delict. That one, you know, <laughs> you did it. I'm, I'm fancy. I know <laughs> and my words. said, wasn't me. But what yeah, happened sure, was me. Was he got home early? He caught her. It was the classic thing, according to him. He stays with her for another nine years. Until the kids are respectively, I think one was about 20 and one was 16. Like, he's sticking it out for the kids. Okay. He's also making and losing entire fortunes oh, in gosh. Cleveland and participating very actively in the development of the city. By the time he leaves, there are thousands of people in Cleveland. It is one of the biggest cities in the country. No way. Because the railroads need this outlet oh, to the West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now... Maynard leaves Cleveland and he leaves Lydia and the kids behind. Okay. He takes the railroad down to St. Louis. And then he sets out on the Oregon Trail. (gasps) Yes. Okay. Out we go. And this is one where actually we had a cameo from another character that we've covered. A lot of the description of Doc's time on the trail was salted with quotes from Ezra Meeker. Oh my gosh. (laughs) As Bill calls him our most professional pioneer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. According to Bill, Maynard had a very tough time on the trail some of which was self-inflicted. Alright. But he seems to have just been one of those he, he's like our friend who who like ran to Idaho. Like everybody else <sighs> would be even twelve miles and he'd like do the twelve miles, <sighs> then stay up all night on guard against people attacking them, oh, and then go scout six miles to go find some food for the oxen and come back. Like he oh, just, Lord. he did not sleep. He did not rest. He would go so far. And again, he's forty-two when he sets out to do this. He's eighteen hundreds forty-two. Yeah, right. Right? Like he's not like been at the snap fitness and getting the supplements and everything. No,
1: this is a twenty twenty one sixty-eight. You know, this is dog
0: years. One thing well, what's the easiest thing to do in Oregon Trail the game? Die. (laughs) <laughs> the easiest thing to do is die. Because you can get sick from everything. You can get injured from everything. Yes. Anything can go wrong. Yes. So a doctor on the trail stayed oh, very, yeah. very busy. Yeah. And that was absolutely the case for Doc Maynard. Fell in with several wagon trains that were dealing with cholera. Now in eighteen forty nine there had been a cholera epidemic in Cleveland. So Doc actually knew enough about it for the time. Like, there was okay. a law we did not understand about cholera okay. at the time, but he at least had seen it before, and he knew things that would help. Like, at least he was getting them fluids as much as he could. He was apparently very finicky about clean water, and he'd have to do the thing where he'd, like, sure. dig a little hole by the river and be like, I'm going to drink this because it's filtered, and everybody out there is like, the river's delicious. He's like, Think- yeah, <laughs> don't do that. What's Giordia? We're all pooping in this river. I Ugh, know. Don't, please don't oh. do that
1: that i'm currently reading the ghost map which is a book about mm, the The ghost oh, map is such
0: a good book so good the
1: london cholera epidemic so i feel mm-hmm. very up to speed on all the horrors that doc maynard was dealing with with his cholera wagon
0: yes the ghost map is a fantastic read that i i recommend so to everybody both as a topic of historical interest also, very early data visualization methods yeah. and very early public health successes. And as somebody Ugh. who's interested in all of those things, I'm like, yes, this book just, mwah, yes, so good. Yes, I, I love the ghost map and Jom Snow and his pump handle. Oh, it's just it's a good story. Man. Mm-hmm. Good story. Wish we had a pump handle these days. I would be there with my hammer, man. Oh, gosh. Yes, I would be going after that thing. Yes, you would be. Uh, Anyway, so Doc was dealing with these wagon trains of folks that had cholera because it was okay. very easy to spread cholera because it could be, as we've talked about, bumper to bumper right. on the Oregon Trail. Right. Like you'd have to spread out to try to get fodder for your creatures. But if you were coming to a body of water, you were crossing the same body of water as everybody else. Yeah. As everybody washed themselves in. Yeah. As everybody was washing their food pots in. As everybody yeah. was washing their poopy butts in. So it's very <laughs> easy to pass around cholera. Sure. And Doc is on the case with these folks who are going west. And he helps the families who are in dire straits. So it's a couple families that are kind of intermarried. The Brochiers family, there's two married couples. There's uh, some kids kicking around. There's some cousins. It's not important. There's a couple characters you need to know about here, though. Okay. There's a woman named Catherine Troutman Brochiers. Okay. And Catherine's husband... Dies of cholera while Doc is trying to save everybody. Oh, He is doing too much. Like, he's running around. He's trying to get them fresh water. He's yeah. trying to triage because he's the only person here, yeah. right? Like, he doesn't yeah. have a nurse. He doesn't have orderlies. He doesn't have anybody helping. Yeah. Him. So he's trying to keep them all alive yeah. and is rushing around. And they're saying, you know, oh, help them. Don't help me. All this kind of stuff. But he manages to save several members of the family including Catherine oh. and her sister Susanna. I know where this now, is going. Oh <laughs> now Catherine and Susanna are in a tough situation on the trail because Oxen take a lot of physical strength to manage and they are now by themselves because as far as I could tell Catherine's husband died and Susanna's husband kind of took off. No way. Something happened weirdly. Like, there was a lot of conflict about who was going to be in charge. And (laughs) that seems to be where the husband wandered off to. Either way, both of them were functionally by themselves. Yeah, Yeah. the husband
1: was just like, y'all are drinking shit water. I'm out.
0: Yeah, so Doc basically takes over this wagon train. He learns how to... Drive the oxen. Oh, wow. He becomes a bullwhacker, as they were called. Mm, mm-hmm. This very physical thing. He, this is when he's doing some of the most intense, like, drive the oxen all day, drive yeah. them another six miles to go find them food, then walk back. Who was your guy? Oh, it was Butterworth, who came out yeah. and made the coffin. The coffin. Mm-hmm. For the, the people who died on the trail. Yeah, out of, now, like, a
1: buckboard. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Doc didn't go that far, but six members of Catherine's family had died, and he dug graves for all of them. Oh. He helped her bury all her dead.
1: Oh.
0: Now, the first week in July, as they were struggling along the trail, they are in desert sand. I don't know specifically where they are sure. on the trail from this story. Built is an expansive yet not Always very precise yeah. author. Yeah, yeah. So on July 5th, the doctor literally put his shoulder to the wheel of the covered wagon as the oxen floundered through eight miles of desert sand. That night, he drove the animals out three miles to feed. The heat oh was intense. God. The next day, he brought the team back, hitched up the wagon, and drove back to the spot where he had spent the night with the animals. What an iron man! He had worked for oh 20 hours straight without any rest. The water in the keg tasted of alkali and was almost too hot to drink. Catherine dreamed of a drink of cold water. That day, the doctor announced he would be gone from camp on some mysterious errand. He carried a huge bucket with him. When he covered the subject the next morning in his journal, he noted that he had gone on a trip to a mountain and returned with a load of fresh snow. So Catherine got her drink of cold water. Oh my goodness romantic. That is really something. Yeah. Helen. Susanna got the drink of cold water too. Yes, she Good stuff.
1: did. Oh my god. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they head all the way out on the trail. And you'll recall, originally Doc was going to California. Doc oh, does right. not want to go to California anymore because he's fallen in love with Catherine. Yes. And Catherine's yes. fallen in love with him. Oh and they go instead to puget sound they go all the way up into washington territory now i do understand the instinct to go this is the wild west baby it's all gonna be okay but the problem is literally the one white guy who was living north of the columbia at the time was catherine's brother so he had a lot of clout I think he was the one guy, he was the first guy, and, like, maybe there were a couple other people kicking around, but we're talking, again, like, a dozen. Oh, my gosh. And so he goes to meet her brother. And this is not what her brother had in mind for (laughs) Catherine. (laughs) He's a doctor, honey. He's a doctor, Mike, okay? Yeah, Mike. But they basically have to play out a lot of the political, geographic, organizational moments of early Seattle under the lens of the fact that Mike Simmons won't let them get married, which, in his defense, Maynard is already married. Oh. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, like, he does kind of already have a wife, and everybody is aware of this. Oh. But love is... There, between Catherine and Doc. And they are willing to try to figure this out. Now, one thing does happen with Susanna, apparently. And this is one where I got a little bit lost in how folksily Bill told it. (laughs) But yes, Susanna had also developed feelings for Doc. Susanna was jealous, okay threatened him with a shotgun oh But was eventually talked down and was able to move on with her life okay so doc was a guy who recorded things in his diary in a very chill way like he would do like one of those 20 hour days and then he'd write tired enough
1: that was always his <laughs> phrase
0: tired enough tired enough <laughs> oh my good lord so he didn't put a lot in it about his feelings or what was going on there but what you could see very clearly in Doc's early years in the northwest is that Catherine was kind of one of the axes that his life was revolving around okay she was living in what would become Olympia and whenever he could he would go there to spend time with her Mm. but he was staying very 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 busy He paddles in to the Sound, and he meets them at New York Alki right at the point when about half of the handful of settlers there are saying, we want to relocate to a slightly different location a little bit further down. Okay. They both want him to come with. He decides to go with the Denny party. Okay. The Denny party. mm -hmm. I mean. The Denny
1: party. The Denny party. We know these folks.
0: Yeah, they were the ones who later said they invented Seattle. <laughs> and they did indeed. <laughs> well, it's good to outlive somebody, and Doc was, you know, he was not at an advantage on that front. hmm Now, another reason why Mike and Doc might not have gotten along okay. is that Mike owned the only store on Puget Sound in Olympia. Oh. And Maynard decides he's going to open a store (laughs) because one of the things that he does so timber as we know is crucial yes one of the things he does is rather than cut a bunch of logs by hand which he does like six blocks worth of six foot high log pile oh my gosh that oh Oh instead of selling it to one of the ships. He makes an arrangement with a ship's captain and says, sell this when you get down to San Francisco. And he makes ten times as much money oh. on that wood as he would have if he had just sold it on site. Sure. Yeah. So normally sure. he would sell his wood from the Puget Sound, you know, around the mouth of the Duwamish, he'd get like four dollars a cord. Yeah. In San Francisco, he could get 40.
1: Money. And he said
0: to his guy in San Francisco, get all this stuff. For the yeah. general store, and bring it on up so first he sets up in olympia which mike does not love uh-huh. but mike says fine you can marry her you just have to move like <laughs> take care take care of your other marriage and take this shop further away from me please
1: mike was worried more about business than his mm-hmm. sister's virtue at the end of the day
0: I think the scales did get a little bit tipped by business. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Of course, everybody else is trying to marry Catherine off at this point because oh, they're like, sure. "What is that guy going to do? Like, he's just this old dude. He's not even here half the time. Sure. And he's married, but that's not who Catherine loved." Mm-mm. So Catherine and Doc go up to Dewamps. Good old Dewamps. He Good gets old in a canoe. Owned and paddled by Chief Seattle. Oh my gosh. And on March 31st, 1852, steps onto the beach at the settlement, which is at this point five months old.
1: Yeah, and again, eight years before the Civil War, which I think yep. of as ancient history.
0: Yup. They are so far back. This is the time. So I went down a rabbit hole when I was looking at this episode yeah, about uh, Chinookwawa, about the Chinook jargon. Oh, and yeah. And it was so commonly spoken in this area that, like, people would have political arguments in it or they would send letters in it. it I thought it was initially, I, I heard, like, oh, it's a trading language. And I'm like, just use your trading. No, most of the people spoke this. No So way. this was not a place where some english-speaking american guy yeah is by even with a majority in terms of white guys like there's french yeah, people yeah. who yeah. have like married into various tribes and there's yeah. a lot going on but not americans not coming out here wow but who interesting he meets is william bell arthur and david denny and carson boren and they go up to their new site on elliott bay mm-hmm. so he builds a cabin down on the Flats, near present-day Yesler Way. Dang. So, what would now be the northwest corner of First Avenue South and Main Street, right on the water. Dang, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now we have Doc Maynard, square in the middle of Maynardville, where we want to see him. In the 1850s, though, so we are way, way back from any kind of party happening. Right. <laughs> it is not a party town. Yeah, Although, not yet. Doc Maynard is about the only party in the party town, because the Denny party are all teetotalers. So one of the things that you'll hear about Doc Maynard is that he's an alcoholic. But the thing is, Denny thought everybody who drank anything was an alcoholic. (laughs) Okay, gotcha. I think there's some evidence that as he reached the end of his life, maybe the disease got on top of him a little. But I gotta say, there were no points when I was like, oh, this is somebody operating with impaired judgment in gotcha. service of an addiction. You're like, I wouldn't know. And of course, there's plenty of people who function just fine. But this, this doesn't seem to have slowed him down much. Sure. One of the things that Maynard figured out when he lived in Cleveland is that if you want to get things done in a developing city, you need to have a role in politics. Yes. That seems pretty logical. But when you come out here... One of the problems is there's barely anything that is politics. So he's not even in Washington Territory. He's in Oregon Territory. Because Oregon Territory goes all the way up. Right. That's (laughs) right, it does. Yeah. Maynard was the one who decided to not do that because he didn't have any influence over the people in Salem. Sure, sure. He had influence over the people Above the Columbia, north of the Columbia, yeah. he knew everybody. Yeah, B- both of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're not kidding. He basically um. was like, everybody knew that China, Japan, and the other Asian markets were potentially huge okay. for the United States. Okay. They also knew that we were due any minute for a transcontinental railroad. Yeah, which meant that functionally. That railroad would link every eastern market to every Asian eastern market. We were looking at this trade route that was like nothing that had been seen up to this point. Yes, everybody is scrambling for their little wide place in the road to become the city that connects the U.S. to the worlds beyond on the other side of the Pacific. And Doc is thinking, I'm going to do this. I don't want it to be Salem. Salem's not where I'm at. (laughs) Olympia is where Catherine is, and this place, Dewomps, is where I've got some land, so we're going to do it up here. Okay. But this is very tedious to go all the way down to Salem every time I want to bribe somebody. (laughs) That's not quite Indeed. But it's not quite unfair. (laughs) There's... A lot of political maneuvering that goes on here that I won't recap in great detail because it is complicated in a way that's not interesting because it involves a lot of people who never show up before or after this because it literally, like you said, was just a couple people to the (laughs) point where Maynard is pushing and with his friends is pushing for this with his newspaper that he made. To say that Washington needs to be its own territory. It needs to be divorced from Oregon. Yeah. He wants Washington to divorce itself from Oregon and become an independent thing for various reasons. Okay. One of which is everybody's pretty convinced that if there's two territories out here, they'll get more money. (laughs) Yeah. Oregon is kind of for it because they're like, ooh, so all the money we get, we could spend below the Columbia? Uh Uh-huh. And then you guys would get your own money? I kind of like that. Yeah, Yeah. And then above the columbia they're into it because they're like we'll have the money to spend on ourselves we'll make the decisions they managed to get enough people together to say yes we want this to be its own territory and by enough people i mean about 12 guys (laughs) and they hold what is called the monticello convention which is such a fancy name for they go to a log cabin (laughs) and in about two hours Draft up a thing that they're gonna send back to Washington, <laughs> DC. And it says, in essence, either you admit us as a territory by May of next year, or the next time we come to you, we're gonna be applying for statehood. And then they send it and call it a day then and go out drinking. <laughs> I'm appropriate. <completely sighs> <afraid. sighs>
1: I'm sorry, I just can't get over the Monticello convention of the name of a yeah. group of 12 guys who, like, dig their own toilets every time they need to go poopy. That's not they, a name that you get hang to have.
0: out at, they're like, we're at the Jackson Courthouse. Like, that is a log cabin. That, yeah, sir, sir, let me yeah. tell
1: you about your shack.
0: Yeah, at least of, as of Bill writing this book, that shack was still there, which is kind of cool. That's neat. But... Let me tell you briefly about Edward J. Allen. So he was 22 years old, mm-hmm. and he lived in Pittsburgh. And he was sickly, and they said you got to get someplace with healthier air. So he decides Kay. to go out west. Sure, he goes out west. He has terrible time on the trail. He strains <laughs> his ankle. It hurts him all the time. Oh, poor but baby. he gets to Portland, and he gets a job in a sawmill because Portland is stump town. I'm sorry. You have breathing problems
1: and you're going to get a job in a place that makes yeah. sawdust. I mean, what else is he yeah, do? Yeah, I suppose so, right? <laughs>
0: you're right. I'm you sorry, my Taylor? mistake. Yeah, right. I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure what he could do. So he puts together enough money that he can continue his journey. He goes up to Puget Sound. Okay. So he gets to the Cowlitz Landing on the Cowlitz River the day before the Monticello Convention. Okay. And he's been. In the Northwest for, like... He's been in the Northwest for six months. A whole six months? And he's getting ready to walk to Olympia when he meets some guys going downriver in the other direction. And he <laughs> knows one of them from Pittsburgh and he starts talking my to Oh, my God. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to Monticello. He's like, where's that? And they're like, oh, well, it's where we're going to have the convention. <laughs> what convention? A convention? Well, we're going to form a new territory. What territory? And they're like, I think we're going to call it Columbia. Anyway... <laughs> We want it to be our own thing. Do you want to come? And he's like, I've only ever been north of the Columbia for a couple days, and I've only been in the Northwest for six months. And they uh-huh. say, it's fine. <laughs> so instead of going to Olympia, he goes with them. Of course. And they are put up in the loft of a barn where they drank and sang and played Mumbledee all night. <laughs> and the next day, Alan hung over, is approached by somebody whose name he doesn't even remember at this point, and is told, hey, you're a member of the committee that's drafting a resolution to Congress requesting the creation of a new territory north of the (laughs) Columbia River. So Alan's name is on that document. <gasps> oh my! God. Literally because he was around. Yeah. And they're like, "You can come. Yeah, you can it's come. It's fine. It's great. <laughs> come. It's gonna be a great time. Oh my We're just goodness. gonna knock out this resolution real quick uh, and then get back to partying. Oh, uh, great these are excuse. The hobbits <laughs> of the
1: eighteen hundreds, and I love them. Everyone is friends. Everyone is family. Nothing gets in the way of
0: partying. Now, there's more political maneuvering. Okay. But what you need to know is that they pull it off. And they get Washington Territory. Now, obviously... Maynard has a lot of clout in Washington Territory. Doesn't he just? he made sure he would. One of the things that he did to get it done is basically back a politician who was on kind of shaky ground and say, hey, this will all work out for you if you uh, help us out because we're going to have a Washington Territory that's going to need a delegate. Don't even worry about getting elected in Oregon. Uh Uh-huh. We're going to have a whole new territory. It's cool. Uh Uh-huh.
1: You can be a big fish in a small pond, my
0: friend. (laughs) Yep. So the territory of Washington was incorporated from March 2nd, 1853 until it became a state in 1889. Dang. Right around this time, Maynard is incredibly busy. Now, he is doing real estate deals Kay. And one of the legends about him is, "Ha ha, Doc Maynard got conned by Yesler. Ha ha, Doc Maynard got conned by that blacksmith. Why did he sell the land to a blacksmith? There weren't even any horses around. Okay, because Doc Maynard had a Sim City mindset, <laughs> and Doc Maynard knew." That when you are making a little town, Uh you can't just put houses down. Correct. You need businesses. Correct. You need, for instance, a blacksmith. Yes. And if everybody who needs a blacksmith in Washington Territory is coming to your little Maynard town, they're in good shape. Yes. That is why Yesler ended up where he did and why Maynard made the effort to get some of Boren's lot, some of Denny's lot, and put that steam sawmill right there. That's also part of the reason he got the blacksmith blacksmith is because Yesler's mill was always breaking down, then they have to wait forever for metal (laughs) stuff to get shipped so it could work again. (laughs) He's like, we need a blacksmith. Yes. So he's got his general store going. They got a blacksmith. They've got the steam-powered sawmill, which apparently could cut the board straighter. Although, I know Speedle is really hard on Yesler, but I will admit, even in like the Skid Row book, Yesler freely admitted that he sold what is known in Chinookwawa as "cultus lumber," meaning crappy. <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> not we, good. <laughs> we call that B grade in marketing. Mm-hmm. Yes, he sold B grade lumber, which was frustrating I'm to Maynard. Sure, but it was still a lot better than what you were getting from the other sawmills. Now, mm-hmm. if you're getting a city. Off the ground. Yeah. You've got your blacksmith. He's yeah. the doctor, so they've got a doctor. Okay. They've got a general store. They've got the sawmill. Okay. So that there's a place to employ people. What's the next building you think you need to get? The jail. No, the tavern. Close. The school, the church, the... I'll give you a hint. we already covered the woman who ended up running it.
1: Oh, you need, you need whore the house. whorehouse. You need yeah. Mother Damnables' residence, my loves. How yeah.
0: did I was the first fucking house in the territory? I knew the mm-hmm. answer to this. What am I doing? It's all right. You want to do it again? I won't pretend you got it right first. No, I'll know. <laughs> I will know no. my own lies. So one thing that Maynard very deliberately did. Is he was friends with Captain Felker. Yes. And he sold some of his land in Maynardtown to Captain Felker. Yes. Who would find the infamous Mother Damnable to run Felker House for him. Yes, he would. As it was believed that vice was essential to the economic success of a frontier town of the time. And you know what? I think he was right. I think he was Mm -hmm. absolutely correct. Yes. Yep. Yes. Now, this was... Doc Maynard's move. So Henry Yesler's move, I think, was the old, like, 3 card of Monty, but with property for some reason. Okay. Doc Maynard's move is about economy of scale
1: mm. and about
0: integration and – what's the word I'm looking for? Like, when two companies work together and the the result is better, or when two animals work together, like, benef- benefiting each other. I'm drawing complete blank.
1: No, I'm getting there. Um... Mm -hmm. not reciprocal. It's not synergistic. It's a symbiotic relationship.
0: Yes. Thank you. You Doc Maynard's thing was symbiosis and symbiotic relationships. And he believed in making it so much easier to give him your money. (laughs) So one of the things that he did, for instance, was he got himself licensed as a post office. So the post office was in his store. So anytime you wanted to go get your mail, you'd be going to Doc Maynard's store. Sure. Oh, wow. Oh, Target, get a
1: post office up in you and let me tell you, Target. That's why they have a pharmacy,
0: man. Clearly. (laughs) Yep. He's doing that. He's the same thing with the blacksmith and the mill. It is the same thing with various people that he would sell to, including people who had attractive unmarried sisters. Oh. He is smart. Because then he can play matchmaker with some of his other friends, and then he has two people who owe him a favor, and they live on land they bought from him. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Now, one of the ways in which Maynard was a frustrating city founder, we have already talked about kind of the extreme expression of, which is, he had an interesting approach to laying out street (laughs) (laughs) grids. Asshole. Yeah, Asshole. yeah. was like, grid? No, we're grin. doing the compass. We're doing north, south, east, yeah. west. And Denny's like, we're putting it level to the shoreline. What are you doing, yeah. dude? Yeah, yeah. As Denny put it, Maynard felt he was not only monarch of all he surveyed, But what Boren and I surveyed, too. (laughs) (laughs) And they never worked it out. And to Uh, this day, Seattle is messed up as a result. So messed up. (laughs) Yeah. So messed up. And again, this is like Real Housewives or worse. This is a very tightly knit group. Because like we've said a thousand times, everybody had to do everything. Sure. So Maynard was also the first justice of the peace of King County, Uh which meant he issued the first marriage certificate in King County to David Denny and Louisa Boren. No way. No And he presided at the wedding. Of course he he did. He handed out hors d'oeuvres after and then sang a song for the dance (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All in one. I'm sure he was the valet. And He drove them to the nothing hotel. To the nothing that he owned. Yeah, exactly. He drove them to Madame Damnable's place. Yes. I got a little bit more context for her story as well because, like, when you were telling me, I was just kind of taking it all in and I didn't have a very clear view of what was going on in Seattle at the time. Sure, I want to circle back to her for a moment. Uh-huh. Because... What I did not understand when you told me about her conflict with the army is that not only is she set up in Maynardville, which means she is on these flats where it is incredibly undefended, but she's having this standoff with them a week after the Battle of Seattle. Right. The reason they were trying to take the bushes down is because if they all got attacked again, they wanted to be able to, like, communicate and see what was happening, right. and that's what she was against. Right, right. And I love that, like, apparently Maynard didn't even try to rein her in on this one. There's a legend <sighs> of one time when they really got into it, and he smacked her on the butt, and spanked her, and then she took him to court over it.
1: God, I <laughs> wish like, I knew both that. for you. Good for both of you is right. don't do that oh but
0: also that's hilarious that's because she's this terrifying old lady yeah who like this the army sent like 60 dudes in to get her yep and he just like
1: quit it yep just paddled her (laughs) just paddled her and she went you know what not acceptable i did not consent we don't touch people like that doc and he's like damn it
0: Where'd you get all those words? Yeah, where'd you get? (laughs) Like, I speak five languages. Where'd you think I got my name? I I know! Right! But of course, they go to court, and he owns, like, everybody. Well, and the courthouse. Everybody. And the. Well, they kind of both own the courthouse. Okay, fair. Just her building fair yes <laughs> you're it right it is just a building that's yeah. right that's got to be so hard to have this argument you're like i'm in your house I'm in your house. I can't house try this case i'm in your house right? what are you doing
1: right i've always wanted a small business where i live above it and then <laughs> you know
0: i can tell people to fuck off because it's my <laughs> house <laughs> so before i jump onto the next topic i'm going to give you the chance to talk about our sponsor jesse
1: I have an amazing property to share with you today, Liz, from our friend and sponsor, Jesse Sells Land. Spokane folks, listen the F up. You all know the Rockwood Boulevard area. If you're in Spokane, you know it. This is that brick house that's like part Tudor looking where it's got the exposed wood beams and part castle because it's that one on Rockwood Boulevard that has the crenellated portico. Oh my Do you know God, the one I'm talking one?
0: about? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a yeah. couple really distinctive houses in that neighborhood. There's oh. like that there's kind of like the 70s modern almost Asian-inspired one. Yes. There's the one with the copper roof.
1: Yeah. I'm yes. Fine.
0: Yes. Well, this is
1: the Tudor castle and it is only 2.9 million dollars only. Oh, there we go. It is beyond. It's five beds, six baths, but the outside obviously is what sold me forever and always. I've never seen the inside until I was able to, you know, get my creeper fixed thanks to Jesse Sells Land. <laughs> the inside has original woodwork that makes it look like a monastery, kind of. You know, mm-hmm. like you see in monasteries or churches or whatever, it's like a trefoil. The, the three circles yeah, yeah. kind of arranged like a shamrock. Ugh, that's carved into everything. It's got this swooping staircase. It's got these rounded doorways. It's got an oak paneled, wood beamed, formal dining room. I cannot. I cannot with this house. I want it so bad. They also have an open concept kitchen that also has like a club sofa and a giant fireplace, which I mean, I'm going to tear out the sofa and I'm going to make the fireplace into a witchy hearth, clearly. Oh, nice. We, yeah, okay. we don't, don't need this. Their breakfast nook is bigger than my actual kitchen. <laughs> I haven't even scrolled through to the bedrooms yet, but there's also another room that I don't know what it originally would have been. So the fireplace room, the study, but it's got bookcases all along the fireplace wall but they're all the leaded glass stained glass doored oh goodness the curved ceiling is painted to look like a sky and blends into these windows and this oh oh you all have to go look at it it's the house that if anybody wants to get me an early birthday present please (laughs) just purchase this
0: one i cannot believe it that sounds so cool i want it so bad if people are going to buy you this early birthday present, they can go to Jesse Sells Land on Instagram yes. or WashingtonStatelandForsale.com.
1: Yes. They Did I can, tell you that indeed. at
0: Thanksgiving, I was trying to tell my mom about weird houses and I started no. to talk about Jesse and then I, <laughs> I choked because I. Felt myself going into the patter where I was like, "You can find her at Washington." State. And I, then I was like, "This isn't right. I'm in real life. I'm in real what life. What do I do? This is Thanksgiving." And I I'm just a kind of boy. stumbled to a halt in confusion. Oh, it was pathetic. I'm so sorry. I'm I was so like, sorry. I don't know how to talk about this. I wanted to do an organic, actual recommendation.
1: No, and an I actually
0: action- like. Yep panicking.
1: Yeah, oh, no, a real conversation, what is that? If we can't talk about aliens or houses that we want to buy and can't afford or conspiracy theories, what are we doing?
0: Well, like it's so pertinent. Like she would love the yeah. weird places. It was just that Yeah. It's it's like starting to it's like saying the alphabet and you start to sing the alphabet you start song to sing. or something. Yeah. Like you just get into yeah. the cadence. Yeah. So let me give it to you one last time, everybody. That is Jesse sells land on Instagram or washingtonstatelandforsale.com.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm well laughing at that own sound done. of
0: my voice. Well done. It was like
1: a resurrection of my secretary voice. <laughs> All right. Let's
0: get back to it. Let's get back to it. Doc Maynard is moving and shaking and trying to make stuff happen in the new Washington Territory. And one of the things that he's trying to make happen is he wants to get married to Catherine. Sure. Now Who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> Nobody in Washington Territory <laughs> at the time. <laughs> what he pulls off is not anything with Ohio or Cleveland or indeed The United States in general. What happens is that Oregon Territory passes a special bill announcing that he is divorced. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Just like Maynard's Law. Divorced. It literally, let me see, I can read it to you. It is bananas. (laughs) Let's see. An act to provide for the dissolution of the bonds of matrimony heretofore existing between DS Maynard and Lydia A. Maynard, his wife. Oh, my Section word. one. Be it enacted by the Legislative Assembly of the Territory of Oregon that the bonds of matrimony heretofore existing between DS Maynard and Lydia A. Maynard be and the same are hereby dissolved. Passed the House of Representatives december twenty second, eighteen fifty two, oh, they my went. God. Yep, that's a law. There you go. You're not married anymore. <laughs> this had not been done since
1: King Henry divorced Catherine. What? This is You so need a whole government
0: strange. to divorce y'all.
1: What? Yeah.
0: One of the things that Doc Maynard had to do in his campaign here is get a lot of people to testify to the fact that Lydia Maynard was horrible and he was a good guy. Okay. Yeah, he had to get people to say she was horrible, and that's why he left. One of the people who testified on his behalf, here we go, the evil disposition of his wife had caused him to seek peace in Seattle, where we have every evidence he intends to spend his days. That was <laughs> Luther Collins. Do you remember Luther from Boren's Block 1? He was the guy who hung scalps on his fence. No! That guy! He did some murder! Ew! Luther! I don't like you. He was also appointed the first commissioner of King County in return Mm. for the favor of saying that Lydia Maynard had an evil disposition. Oh, wow. That's all it took, huh? Yep. He was hauled into court a bunch of times. And uh, when he got arrested for murder, he called Doc and said, I need help. Wow. And the record doesn't show how he did it. But when the court reconvened... They said, yeah, we're not going to prosecute that anymore. And Luther left. No, a guy and went economy. to Idaho. Uh-huh. So as Bill puts it, if you've ever wondered whether or not the present county commissioners are setting precedent by getting away with murder, <laughs> you can rest your mind. They've been getting away with it from the beginning. From the
1: very beginning. The literal beginning.
0: Ugh. So I think that's the dark side of Doc Maynard's symbiosis approach. Okay. Is it put him in bed with a lot of shady... And sometimes outright terrifying people. Yes. But I also think there weren't a lot of people to choose from (laughs) at the time. Yeah. One of them that we've talked about is Chief Seattle. And Maynard was the guy who figured out how to leverage Seattle's relatively weak position Mm -hmm. into a strength. Because... There were other chiefs in the area. There was Curly, who yeah. we talked about, who had paired up with Yesler, yeah. primarily on behalf of the Duwamish. And then we had Pat Canem. Pat Canem was chief of the Snoqualmu and Snohomish tribe. Okay. He had a third person. He tended to work with George McClellan and Arthur Denny. So essentially, each of these guys paired up with a different political faction in the existing political conflicts of the region. Sure. And Doc was the one who managed to leverage a very weak position of the Seattle into this city. Dang. Because essentially Seattle was facing the same thing With his access on the sound and the territories, not that he controlled, but that he controlled access to. Yeah. As Doc was always thinking about all the time in terms of access to the Asian market and access to back east. Right. So he was like, yeah, I know exactly what this is about. This is about trading routes and this is about access and travel. I know how to do this. Yes. All of that complicated stuff is going on. We've talked about the Battle of Seattle. Now, you mentioned this was before the Civil War, which is true. When the Civil War comes around, Doc is out of step with the people in Seattle, with the others. And it makes tension in a way that even his marriage situation didn't. Okay, He's kind of disillusioned. Maynard, in the resources I see, is a Democrat surrounded by proto-Republicans. It's leading up to the war, it's about 1857, and Maynard is like, I'm tired of trying to manage all this. He swaps his quote-unquote downtown Seattle, his 260 acres of downtown Seattle. He swaps Maynard Town for a farm out at Alki Point, owned by Charles C. Terry, the guy who thought it would be cool to call it New York because he was from New York. And called a New York al Okay. Never going to get tired of busting on him for that. No. <laughs> no. Catherine and Doc are out at this farm. It doesn't go great. They're not successfully farming. And their farmhouse burns down because everything burns down. Oh my down. gosh, right. They move back to Seattle. They open a hospital, a two-room hospital. Again, in present-day Pioneer Square, Maynard Town, Skid Row, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. They're back there. Wow. It does not go well either. Really? And you know why? Is because he would treat anybody regardless oh. of what race they were. Oh. And the white settlers in Seattle did not like that. They called him stuff I won't repeat. Mm-hmm. Just because he was like, if you need help, I will help you. I am a doctor, and yeah. they're like, "Yee, fuck you." Yeah, because he's like, <laughs> That's hey, not allowed." Hippocratic oath. Maynard did some of everything. He got admitted to the bar, again, by an act what? of the Washington Territorial Legislature. They said, you're a lawyer now. <laughs> <laughs> he said, okay. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I just, yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, I'll be a lawyer now. Mm-hmm. That's cool. He's... Involved in various what Bill Speedle calls maguzles. magoozles. Magoozles! Uh, and I love it. He calls them magoozles. Magoozles. And he says, a magoozle for the benefit of those who have retired or not as yet awakened is a method by which we get things done in America. It's neither legal nor illegal, but it gets the job done. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, his divorce was a magoozle. Definitely. Getting the territory was a magoozle. Yes. And there was one last unexpected thing. And complicated thing that Maynard needed to navigate toward the end of his life. Okay. Maynard made it to the Supreme Court in 1888. So it's like just before it becomes a state. Now, what happened was Lydia showed up. (laughs) Of course she (laughs) did, our girl Lydia. Stuff has been going on such that she is aware that his land is worth quite a bit. Ah! But she becomes aware of this because somebody approaches her and offers to buy her claim. So for $500, she says, yes, my half of Doc Maynard's stuff is yours. (sighs) And when that guy shows up in Seattle, it becomes a huge legal issue. Yeah, I bet. Because there are a lot of legal questions up in the air. Can the territory... Just randomly grant somebody a divorce like that. Yeah. What kind of laws can a territory just pass? Yeah. What if they're in conflict with the United States laws? Yes. What are the implications if we say they can't make laws like that? Because it'd be easy to say you can't do that. But then all of a sudden, that's starry to ceases, right? That's, yes. that's the precedent being set that could open up the territories to losing all kinds of bills yes. that they rely on. And it's a very delicate power balance situation. So indeed, the question of is Doc Maynard divorced or not mm-hmm. goes all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh my gosh. And where this all shakes out is that they say... Not only is Lydia not entitled to half of his stuff, neither is Catherine. Because when you look at the way that it, you basically had to claim territory and this is something that doc really leaned on he would always put in his leases or his sales that you had to build a substantial building within yeah. a certain period of time because he hated land speculators yeah yeah he didn't want somebody who was just going to buy up land and not do something with it yeah you had to do something with it so also you will sometimes hear slander against him that he would sell the same plot more than once It's like yeah Because he would sell it to people who would then break the terms and he would take it back and sell it to somebody who's going to use it. Gotcha. But this whole you have to actually be there and you have to actually develop it thing ends up backfiring. Because in the complex logic of common law wives, his territorial divorce and his living as a married man with his second wife... Essentially, Lydia didn't get out there and develop the land, so she's not eligible. Sure. And by the time Catherine started developing his land, it was too late. So neither of them get a share of the claim. Oh. But as disappointing as that is for them, I want to tell you... A story about the three of these. So here we
1: go. You talking about his uh, ideas on land where you have to use it in a certain way, you can't just sit on it, kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of the way that, I don't know if they still work this way, but the way that certain mining claims work, where you, mm-hmm. you can have it, but you have to be able to pull a certain amount of ore out of it every certain amount of time, or yeah. it's considered yeah. you're not using it, and so someone else can claim jump.
0: Exactly. That was a big factor. And we've talked about like the Homesteading Act and things like that, that everyone was conscious as the West was getting parceled out like this, that speculation could stymie the growth tremendously while also making very strange economic things happen. So they had these requirements about, you know, you've got to stay, you've got to yeah. build a house, you've got to do yeah. this.
1: I mean, that's an interesting parallel to what's happening in Seattle right now is so many of yeah. the properties here, the single family dwellings are being bought up by foreign investors who aren't living here. And so they're pricing people who live here out of their their hometown. And in many cases, they're they're purchasing these buildings and then just sitting on them, or they're purchasing properties and sitting on them. They're renting them for more than people can afford, and so they're going mm-hmm. vacant, and yet, you've got enough houses for the amount of people here, but the people here can't afford them, and the people who own them are like, don't care, I've got the money to just sit on it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can afford to not use the space because yes. the potential but, unused value yes. is, is worth more. Yes. Yeah, and I don't love that. Didn't love it either. All right. I'm going to tell you one last story about Maynard. Most of his legal trouble, most of the reason why he got into law was because of his whole wife situation. He he thought it was straightforward. You know, he never lived with Lydia as his wife out in the West. It's Catherine's. And as this was falling out and Lydia showed up in Seattle, he heard that she was coming. And according to the story, which I have in both Skid Road and Bill Speedle's book. So if, okay. if it's not the truth, it's a very good legend. Yes. He stopped at his favorite barber shop and said, fix me up in your best style. And the barber's like, what's going on? What you going to do? <laughs> and he says, I'm going to give the people here a sight they never had before and may never have again. I'm going to show them a man walking up the street with a wife on each arm. Oh, my God. And you know what? When her steamer pulls up, Catherine and Doc... They pick her up, they take her back to their place, they put her up, and they all live in harmony. while well, this all plays out. What?! Yep. Her whole time in Seattle, she lives with them, and they apparently get along great. And Doc gets along with both of them. What?! If you think back to the things he was saying about her, yeah. the people he got to slander her because he had to get a divorce. You had to do that to get a divorce in those days. You sure. couldn't just be like, I'm done being married to this person. Sure. It had to be cruelty, infidelity, desertion, yeah. stuff like that. When you think about where they were, that he started out in love with somebody else, that he either she cheated on him or he said she did, yeah. neither is great. yeah. He divorces her through a legislative act yeah. without telling her Yeah. and then tries to give away what legally at least could be considered to be a very valuable share of land that belongs to her. He tries to give it away to Catherine yeah. through all that. I love that at the end of his life, all of them just went, you know, it's fine oh <laughs> let's just be cool yeah let's just be cool doc just got a hairdo like he's looking yeah! we both love him we've never met we're all old it's fine that oh makes my God. me so happy but i gotta say when we started this i did not realize that multiple founding fathers of seattle would have multiple simultaneous yes! wives I didn't know that was like a thing. All y'all had several
1: wives going at once. None y'all can keep it straight. No, it is
0: amazing to me that more than one person we've covered in this thought that all you had to do... Was go very far away from your wife and she would stop being your wife. Like, no wonder Pantages thought he could get away with it. He's like, You're more than 2,000 miles away from me. Legally, we have no connection anymore. I know. It's moon law, baby. Like, (laughs) I've never met you before. (laughs) And my God, the top people in our local politics are doing it. So clearly, I can too. I'm sad that neither of them got any of the property. Yeah. But I love that they just hung out together at the end. Yes. That's great. Yes. David S. Doc Maynard died on March 13th, 1873. And his funeral was Mm. the largest Seattle had ever known. And one of his fellow citizens said at his funeral a quote that I thought was fantastic and that we all end our Doc Maynard stories with because it's just so good. Yeah. Without him, Seattle will not be the same. Without him, Seattle would not have been the same. Indeed, without him, Seattle might not be. I called this the three loves of Doc Maynard. And I was kind of thinking about that first unnamed one who drove him into this relationship with Lydia. But ultimately I'm going to say the third one is Seattle. Because he thought this place was really something special. And he worked incredibly hard and wheeled and dealed and screwed people over and did shady stuff, did a lot of magoozles to get this city named after his friend, Chief Seattle, to be the queen city of the West. And he succeeded beyond what he could have imagined. And it all came from Maynard Town. It all came from Skid Row. It is the heart of Seattle now, and I think it always will be. I have loved finding out so much about how that space changed over time and all the different <sighs> familiar faces that keep circling back through. I mean, you know some of Doc's stuff is down there in the underground. <laughs> he yep. owned what Bourne's Block 1 at one point. He had to deal... With that terrifying, violent guy like you, they were just all in each other's pockets. Yeah. They were probably walking down the same yeah. streets and crossing each other's paths. And meanwhile, yeah, Denny came along later because he outlived Maynard and put himself down as the yeah. founder of Seattle and the person who had the vision. But Denny had not been there in Cleveland when you saw how to make a city grow. Maynard was the one who did that. Right. And he was the one who understood the businesses that needed to happen and the politics that needed to happen. And even he was setting up marriages. You know, he was covering every side of this from respectable marriages to hiring Mother Damnable to run the finest Uh house of ill repute in the Northwest. He had a vision of what Seattle was and it involved sex and it involved drinking and it involved yeah. having a yeah. grand old time yeah and i think his yeah. legacy is still part of it to this day that is your story of doc maynard the man who invented seattle
1: good stuff maynard
0: good stuff Maynard. good stuff maynard
1: <laughs> that's so cool and i absolutely cannot imagine a better end to our skid road series
0: it hits just just right so good about this yes so let's talk a little bit like we haven't talked a ton about what comes next i was envisioning maybe doing a couple one-offs just to see if we've got a couple things we want to cover before we jump into the next one and we've talked a little bit about the next one being organized around a different theme. So as I was working on this, it became very clear to me that someday there needs to be a season about the Gold Rush. And specifically the Yukon Gold Rush. We've touched on it so many times. So many. Almost getting into it and then backing off it. And we will do the deep dive one of these days. But I don't think it should be the next one that we do because the era and the characters are too similar. So we might do something about, I don't know, weird animals, yeah. or cool women, or just organize it around some completely different theme. And we'll yes. figure out what, what tickles our pickle. What tickles our pickle. figure out what pickle? floats our boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'll tell you once we figure it out. Let me recap some of the stuff that we talked about here. Oh, I like Skid that. Road. So we started with the three loves of Henry Yesler, which is I put in the description, the Tale of Henry Esler, Seattle's city father, who's really more of a city vodka aunt.
1: <laughs> because, as we know, he
0: was into seances and free love. Yes, seances and Henry free love, Henry was the one baby. who had a wife, a wife, and then later wife and his wife had a girlfriend. Yep, yep. <laughs> we took a little detour to wrap up the Golden Spruce. And then we got into Box Houses and Sawdust Women, the business of pleasure in early Seattle, when we started talking about John Considine, we talked about all the police corruption, Yes, and that era of Skid Row when Seattle was just a wide open town yes. for anything you wanted to get. On Instagram, I call this
1: Seattle Gets Made and Laid.
0: <laughs> nice. And that flowed beautifully from Considine, who ran Box Houses and then Vaudeville, yes. to Pantages, yes. who ran Vaudeville and his erstwhile fiance Klondike Kate Rockwell, Ugh, and babe. all her adventures. Fantastic. The babe. Love that. Yes. And then bounced back to Seattle to talk about Henry Kubota and his sinking ship, mm-hmm. which we now have tremendous amounts of context for what it means that this was on Yesler Way. And yes. It was at this place where the two plotting strategies failed together. Failed together. And it took us through to the present day, which I really liked, that yep. you understand how Henry comes into this Wild West era and then lives through so many historical changes all the way up into the 60s when we tidily hand it over to Bill Speedle. He starts getting engaged with the preservation of mm-hmm. Pioneer Square. He mm-hmm. unpacks all the trash out of the underground yes. and preserves all this beautiful history. yes. And then after all that, we bounce right back to Doc Maynard, the guy who started it all and owned most of this land at one point or another, and confirm once and for all that the vision of Skid Row and downtown Seattle as a place of cheap, good times uh-huh. always the vision. Uh-huh. And love that. I just love that. Living up to its history. It has been really fun. It has been really fun. Yeah, this has been
1: really, really fun. What a beautiful way, too, to just kind of zoom right into the very end of our fourth year doing this. We will start our fourth year with a new topic, you know? Ooh, I
0: like it. Almost like we planned it. So, folks, to stay in the loop on whatever we're going to do next, whether it's going to be some standalone episodes or whether we decide to jump right into the next season, you should probably follow us on our various social media platforms. So, we have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can visit our website at OuijaBrods.com and Mm -hmm. check out our wonderful game from Tristan Getz, Mm -hmm. Ouija and Broads. You can subscribe on Podbean or most other podcatchers of your choice, including Mm -hmm. iTunes. I don't think we've done rate, review, and subscribe for a while. But, yeah, if you haven't thrown us a rating or review, that would be cool. Please do. You know, I would appreciate it. That would be cool. And thank you for coming along with us as we've experimented with format. I really had a good time with it. I feel like it's re-engaged me. To have this focus, oh, absolutely, and it's made me so fascinated. Like, yeah. I sent you that. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) the other day when i was like this edible isn't shit prints out a nine by nine map of seattle in 1878 (laughs) but i wanted to know where everything was You i still care so much about this like i still want to find out things about this area i am not done with skid row just because we're done with this set of episodes oh i have a fascination for it that I think has been awakened and is not going to be satisfied with only what we've done so far. Oh, I've no. been falling down the rabbit hole of, like, topography and, like, clay and glacial stuff. Oh, yes. And, oh, man, it was a whole thing. Yes. I'm very, I'm into all of this now. So, yes. thank you for coming along with us on this experiment, everybody, and I hope you had a really good time. We've really enjoyed our visit to Skid Row, and we are so glad that you came along with us. Yes. Now, until the next time you hear from us, you know what we want you to do. Mm -hmm. We want you to live weird.
1: We want you to die weird.
0: And stay weird. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.